Well, good morning. So glad you guys could be here this morning with us because we are going to be talking this morning about something that I think we all have in common. It is a struggle that I think every single one of us can identify with. It is a struggle that is so ubiquitous that I think we often don't even recognize it as a struggle. In fact, the struggle itself is the thing that keeps us from doing anything about the struggle. And so I think we've just kind of embraced this thing as just the way that life is. In fact, when people ask us how we are, we describe how we are with this struggle. And so what we're talking about this morning is this. Busy. We are busy. When people ask you how you are, you're busy. How are your kids? Busy. How's the family? Busy. How's work? Busy. How is your week? Busy. 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 When people, if you're like me, when people ask you how your week was, you say busy. When they ask you what you did all week, you don't even know. You look back over your week, it's like, I don't even know what I did, but I sure was busy. Like from the time my feet hit the floor in the morning to my head hit the pillow at night, I was busy doing stuff. But honestly, I don't know what I was doing. And maybe that's you. Maybe you can identify with that. You, you know what it's like to wake up in the morning and right out of the gates, you're responding to texts, you're responding to messages, you're responding to emails, you're responding, responding, and then you get the kids ready and you get the kids out the door and you get yourself ready and you get yourself out the door and you walk into the office and you have all of these things coming to you that you have to respond to and take care of and you have this list of things that you're going to get done during the day and then the end of the day comes and you didn't get any of the things done that you were supposed to do, but you were doing stuff nonstop all day long and then on the way home, you have to get the kids or you have to do the thing that the person asked you to do, but it takes twice as long to do than you thought it was going to take you to do. And so you do it and you get home and you're late for dinner and you rush through dinner and then you have that thing that you were supposed to do, but you forgot about it. So you end up doing the other thing instead and time to get to bed and get five or six hours of sleep before you wake up and do it all again the next day, right? right? And you multiply that by 365, right? And that was your year. Right? You look back over the year, and that's what it looked like. And you look at last year, and it's like, what'd you do? Well, I was busy. <laughs> and if you're like me, if you're like me, your concern is that when you look at that, you know that you were busy, you know that you were doing stuff, but you're not exactly sure what all that time and all that energy and what all that effort actually accomplished. And you have that concern where you start to wonder, is all of that energy, is all of that effort, is all of that busy going towards something that actually matters? In fact, a good Christian author and pastor says it this way. He says, is it possible that our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter? Matter. Is it possible that our greatest fear shouldn't be about failure, but succeeding at things that don't really matter? Because when we're busy, busy is driven by what is urgent. And the truth is, what is usually urgent usually isn't important. The things that are urgent are rarely important, and the things that are important are rarely urgent. And so we get into this pace of life. You get into it, I get into it. We get into this pace of life where we do a really good job and we get really good at doing things that are urgent. But my fear is that we often overlook the things that are really important. 
I'm not gonna try to convince you to not be busy next year. That would be an easy sell. I think we would all sign up for not busy next year, but chances are next year is gonna be just as busy. So what's the solution to the problem? The solution is we need to get intentional about what is most important. So we have to identify things that we put off, the things that we tend to put off because of what is urgent, the important things that aren't urgent that we're potentially overlooking in all of our busy, and we need to get intentional about what is most important. So what is most important? What is most important? And it depends on who you ask because there are a lot of things that are really important. In fact, you ask some people, the most important thing is your health because if you don't have your health, do you really have Anything. So the most important thing is your health. So you have to eat well and you have to exercise and you have to take care of yourself and you have to get plenty of sleep. Yeah, right. And, and some people will tell you that the most important thing is your finances. You have to get your finances right. You need to get out of debt because if you, can't have your, if you don't have your finances right, you're not going to have the means to take care of yourself and take care of the people who are relying on you. So you have to get your finances right. And some people will say the most important thing is your spiritual health. That's the most important thing. You need to get in the Bible. You need to be praying. You need to get into a small group. That's the most important thing. And all those things are really important, but if we're going to get intentional about one thing next year, we're going to pick one thing to get intentional about, what is most important? What is most important? Here's the great thing. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked onto the pages of history and for three and a half years during his public ministry, he did miracles. He claimed to be God. In fact, he also predicted that he would be killed at the hands of the religious leaders. But three days later, he would rise again. And he told this to his closest followers who didn't really believe him. And then when Jesus was crucified, they abandoned him. And the Jesus movement came to a halt. The posters came down. They took off the t-shirts because the ride was over. Nobody was going to follow a crucified Messiah. The whole show died with its leader. And they went into hiding and they locked the doors because if the leaders were willing to kill Jesus, then they wouldn't stop at killing them as well. And they went into hiding. But then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, just like he said he would. He appeared to them. He appeared to 500 others. And these men who were in hiding went out into the streets and risked their lives for the message that you killed Jesus, but he rose from the dead and we saw it with our own eyes. And the followers of Jesus that were added to their numbers were added by the thousands daily, more and more people started following this Jesus that they had seen crucified, but now they were meeting people who'd seen him resurrected with their own two eyes. And within 300 years, the Roman Empire that had nailed him to a cross fell on their knees and called him Lord. And those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we believe that if somebody claims to be God and predicts and pulls off their death and resurrection, then we'll just go with whatever they say because apparently they have something figured out that we don't. And if you know somebody who's predicted and pulled off their own death and resurrection, I suggest you go with whatever they say. And if you don't know anybody like that, maybe we'll just stick with what Jesus says this morning. And here's the great news for us. Here's the really, really helpful thing for us this morning. The really helpful thing for us this morning is that one of the eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus wrote this account of an interaction that Jesus had. One day, Jesus was out teaching a crowd of people, and one of the people in the crowd 
crowd was a religious teacher. And he was listening to Jesus and he was impressed with what Jesus was saying. He was impressed with his answers. And as he was listening to it and thinking about it, he had a question. So he raised his hand and Jesus called on him and he asked him, of all the commandments, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And he was talking about the Old Testament commandments, of which there are about 613. And if you've ever tried to do 613 things well, it is really, really difficult. You can do 613 things maybe, but you can't do all of them well. So this guy decided, well, I can't do all of these, these things well, so how about I get intentional about one thing? And maybe this teacher, this Jesus, can tell me what the one most important thing is. So he asked, what's the most important thing? Which is helpful for us because this is our question, right? If we're going into this next year, we know we're going to be busy, but we don't want to miss out on what is most important. This would be our question, right? If we had audience with Jesus, we might raise our own hand and ask Jesus, could you just tell me, if I'm going to get really intentional about one thing this year, what is most important? And so those of you who've grown up in church and you've been around church, you know it exactly what Jesus says. And here's what he says. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love God. That's what's most important. Let me ask you, do you love God? And maybe some of you have come from churches or you've been around teaching that made loving God overly complicated. In fact, you can go online and buy books that explain what it means to love God in three simple volumes. And they take loving God and turn it into something hugely, vastly overcomplicated that is too difficult for us to actually get our arms around and understand. And then we get confused about, I don't know, do I really love God? So let's make it really simple. Do you like God. When you think of who God is, the image that you have of what God is like, do you like him? Would you like to be around him? In fact, would you, do you like him enough that you would like to be like him? Do you like God? Because here's my guess, that for a lot of you who are here this morning, when you picture the image that you have in your head of who God is, you don't like him. You might believe in him. You might obey him. But at the end of the day, you really don't like him. And I imagine that for a lot of you, your struggle with Christianity isn't whether or not you believe God exists. It's not about whether you believe in God or you believe in a seven-day creation or you believe that the Bible is the word of God. The biggest struggle that you have is that you're not sure if you really like God. Let me suggest something for you. Is it possible that the God that, you've, that you have in your mind, the God that you don't like, isn't what God is actually like. Is it possible that the God you don't like is the God that you've been raised to believe or the God that somewhere along the line in your life is the God that's been presented to you? And is it possible that the God that you've been raised to believe in isn't the God who actually exists? Is it possible that the God that you've been raised to believe in that you don't really like isn't the God that actually exists? And is it possible, is it possible that just maybe, maybe, just maybe, 
that what God, if you were to, were to find out what God is actually like, you would find that you actually like him. Is it possible that if you found out what God is actually like, you would find that you actually like him? Is it possible that Jesus came to show us exactly what God is like, that he came into this world and he did miracles that provided, that protected, that healed, that helped, that, 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 that restored people, that gave life to people, that he used his power only to provide and to serve and to help and to love. And he never, not once, used his power to overwhelm or intimidate or produce fear or to coerce. That he came into this world to show us that he was a respecter of our freedom and he would not use his power against us even when we nailed him to a cross to show us that he's not the kind of God we thought he was. That he's good. That he loves us. And that he wants to prove to us that he's humble and that he's gentle to invite us close to him to see that we can trust him and that we can learn to love the way that he himself loves. That we can learn to love the way he created us to love. Isn't that the kind of God you could like. If that's what God is actually like, wouldn't you like him? And wouldn't you want to be like him? And that's the whole idea. And that's what Jesus says next, that if you saw what God was actually like, you would like him. And not only would you like him, but you would want to be like him. And so the second commandment, the second most important thing, Jesus says in other places, it's like the first one. They're, they're connected. They're hinged together. They're intrinsically linked. The second is this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Number one, love God. Number two, love others. That if you love God, you will love others. In fact, one of Jesus' closest followers, a man named John, said that how can you say that you love God if you don't love others? Because if you like what God is like, you would like him and wouldn't you want to be like him? Wouldn't you want to love the exact same way that he loves? That loving God, the greatest way that we can love God is by loving others. That what God wants most from us isn't offering, isn't sacrifice. What God wants most from us is for us to trust him and in trusting him to love others. That this is what God wants most from his children is for us to love each other. Other. And if you're a parent and you have kids, you understand this. You get this. You know that at the end of the day, what you want most from your kids is for them to just get along and love each other, right? It doesn't matter what pictures they drew for you. It doesn't matter whether they emptied the dishwasher, they did their chores, or they did their homework. If they were at each other's throats all day and were bickering and fighting and hurting each other, none of the rest matters because all you really want is for them to just get along and love each other. Am I right? Right? And this is how our Heavenly Father sees us. He's like, I'm good. I've got everything that I need. There's nothing that you can give me that I don't already have or I can't get. I can speak it into existence. What I want from you is for you to love each 
other. The greatest way for us to love God is to love each other. And so Jesus said there is no commandment greater than these. No commandment is greater than these. In fact, in other accounts of this interaction, Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. That these two commands to love God by loving others aren't just two things at the top of a list of things. They're the two things that everything else is application of. Every other law, every other command, every other principle is application of how to love God by loving others. Because that, after all, is what is most important. To love God by loving others. And here's what I know about you. You are all for this. You have nothing against us. I don't think anybody here has anything. Nobody's sitting here folding their arms saying, no, we should not love each other. No, we're all on board with this. We are good with this. And we would do more of this and we would prioritize this and we would be better at this if we weren't just so busy. So what if, what if this year we decided to get really, really, really intentional about loving God by loving others. So that in the midst of all our busyness, because the busyness isn't going to go away, this is going to be a busy year, just like last year was a busy year, it's going to be a busy year, but so that we can get to the end of the year and look back and say, yeah, it was busy, I'm not sure everything that I did, but I know that I was intentional about what is most important. And what if we could do that by asking one Simple question. What do the people who need me most, most need from me? What are the people who need me most? What are the people who need you the most, most need from you? Not what does my job need from me? Not what does career progression require? Not does, what does my house need from me? Not what kind of car do I need? Not what do I want to look like this year? Not... What do the people who need me most, most need for me? What if we started out the year asking that question? What if we asked ourselves this question throughout the year? It would require us, number one, to develop an awareness of who needs me most. This will require me to develop an awareness of who needs me most. I was working on this message the week before last, and I was out of town in Florida, so I was sitting in the Starbucks working on this message, and I was working on this point here, trying to think of a good illustration to how I could explain this effectively, and through the door, lo and behold, walked my illustration. Perfect. It was a mom and her daughter, and they were obviously on a rush, obviously in a hurry, obviously very busy. Mom was on her way, taking daughter to school, and they stopped at Starbucks, as it turned out, to get a gift card for daughter's teacher for Christmas to thank her for being such a wonderful Christmas. So they come in a hurry, they get the gift card, and they sit down at the table next to me. And then mom has daughter start working on a card for teacher to explain to teacher how much she appreciates her. And I could just feel the intensity coming off of mom. You know, they must have been running late because there was just like this, this just intensity of like, we've got to get this done so we can get on the road because I'm not going to be the parent who drops my kid off late. So there's this intensity and she has her daughter get out her paper to write out the letter to her teacher. And so 
Literally, this is how the converse, the interaction went. Mother says, okay, start out with your teacher's name. Her na- you know her name. Write her name. A, a B, not a D. B, that's a D. It needs to be, line goes on the other side. No, don't erase the circle, just the line. It goes on the, okay. Now, just think of one thing that you appreciate about your teacher. Just one thing. Can you think anything, anything that you, anything at all that you, can you not think of anything that you appreciate about your teacher? <laughs> Write it in a complete thought. A complete thought. It has action, verb, and subject. Complete Thought. And it just as the mom got more, as mom got more intense and got more stressed out, she got more controlling. And as mom got more stressed and controlling, daughter shut down. Mom got more controlling, daughter shut down, and it just started spiraling down. And I have no judgment against this mom whatsoever because this has been me, and I know what that feels like. And I've been mom sitting there doing that to daughter. I get this, so I have no judgment against her. But it was hard to watch because I could see how daughter felt. And it was just tearing her down and tearing her down and tearing her down. And mom didn't mean to. And if mom could get out of her skin and watch the interaction unfold, she would have stopped in a heartbeat, but she couldn't see it. Now, in that moment, what was most important to mom? Certainly what was most important to mom was not daughter. What was most important to mom was not letter. What was most important to mom wasn't even teacher. What was most important to mom in that moment is how daughter's letter would make teacher think of mom. If daughter's letter's bad, teacher thinks bad mom. If daughter's letter good, teacher thinks good mom. What was most important to her in the moment was what the letter would make the teacher think of mom. When we are busy, we will tend to focus on the people we need most. When we're busy, we focus on the people we need most, the people that we need affirmation from, the people we need the admiration from, the people that we want to impress, the people we want to respect us. Our focus when we're busy goes to the people that we need most. When we're focused on who we need most, we overlook those who most need us. When we're focused on those, who need, on those we need most, we overlook the people who most need us. How simple would it have been if before mom got out of car and parking lot, she just took 10 seconds to ask herself, who needs me most in this moment? Her mind wouldn't have gone to teacher. It wouldn't have gone to anybody else. It would have been crystal clear to mom that who needs her most in that moment is daughter. What if, what if at our critical transitions throughout our days, at critical transitions, we took strategic pauses and just asked ourselves, who's going to need me most? Before I walk into the office building in the morning, before I get out of the car to ask myself, when I walk in, who's going to need me most here today? Before I walk from my office into the meeting to ask myself before I walk in, who in that room is going to need me 
most. Before I walk through the front door of my house at the end of the day to take a pause in the truck and ask myself, who on the other side of that door is going to need me most? What this causes me to do is take everything that I've been carrying with me up until that point, leave it at the door, and shift my focus onto who needs me most. And doing that at critical transitions, taking those strategic pauses through our day. What if we did it at the beginning of the week as well? What if tonight, Sunday night, before you start into your week, you took one minute when your head hit the pillow and just asked yourself, this week, this week, who are the people in my life who are going to need me most? Before you start into this year, just to take a strategic pause and ask yourself, in this coming year, who are the people that God has uniquely placed in my life that are going to need me most? And you know them. You know who needs you most. It's your spouse. It's your children. It's the people who report to you at work. It's the people that you work closely with at work. It's your close friends. It's your extended family. It starts close. It moves outward. These are the people who need us most. And we need to increase our awareness of who needs us most so we don't get distracted by the people that we most need. So we're going to raise awareness of who needs us most. We're also going to have to take an assessment of what they need most from me what they need most from me. I've shared this story before, but it was too perfect to not share uh, again this morning, so some of you have heard, that, heard it. But nonetheless, there was a period of in our, in our lives uh, as a family where we struggled with bedtime routine, getting our kids transitioned from dinner time to bedtime without just, uh, just horrendous things happening. We call that period of time now, and I don't know if it's ever going to end. Um, but it was... Really bad about a year ago when our two boys were sharing a room together. We would transition from dinner. They would get ready for bed. And getting ready for bed consisted of three simple things. Pick up your stuff. Put on your pajamas. Yes, children of pastors have to deal with alliteration even beyond Sunday morning. Pick up, put on pajamas, and brush your teeth because that just couldn't start with the P any other way. So brushing your teeth. Um, so that was, those were their marching orders. And every evening they'd be sent to do those three things. They had a half an hour to do it. And by 29 minutes, like there was more stuff out than there was when they originally walked in their rooms. They were running around like savages without shirts on, doing who knows what. And night after night after night, I would lose my mind and just say, why can't you do this? This is so simple. It all starts with P, right? It's so easy to remember. Like I made it simple for you. Like, why can't you do this? And I'd pull out all of the things that you're not supposed to do as a parent to get your children to do what you want them to do. You know, threats and consequences and guilt and shame and anger and frustration. Like everything that I do to try to coerce them to do what I wanted them to do. And then one night, it just been like a buildup. And it finally came to a head that I just lost my mind. I was like, I don't understand what you, every night this, and every time I say, and you do, and this is what's wrong, and this is what you need to fix. Can you just tell me what? do you need from me? I'll never forget my seven-year-old looks at me dead in the eye. He said, Dad, we just need you to encourage us. It's like, oh, he was so right. He was so right. When we get busy, we're really good at identifying what people need to correct. 
We're really good at identifying what people need to correct when we're busy. In fact, we can correct people all day long. We can mass correct people. Like, he needs to be less angry. She needs to be less critical. He needs to be more secure. They need to be more spiritual. Like, all, we can mass correct all day long. But with the people who need you most, need to correct is rarely what they need most from you. But the people who need you most, need to correct is rarely what they most need from you. But the people who need you most, most need from you is not correction, but connection. The people who need you most, most need from you is not correction, but connection, authentic relational connection. What I do now at that critical transition from dinner to bedtime, simple things, simple moment in our life, but revolutionary change is I just take a strategic pause and I ask who needs me most and what do they most need from me? And who needs me most are clearly my children. What they most need from me is not for me to try to squeeze them into doing what I want them to do, but what they most need from me is connection through encouragement and speaking positive words that reinforce the behaviors that I want from them. This can change so many aspects of our lives. If you took just a strategic pause at that critical transition before you walked into that meeting and just asked yourself, who around that table is going to need me most and what are they most going to need from me? I'm not walking in now to push my agenda and get done what I want to get done. Now I'm walking in with a completely different focus. Now my focus is figuring out how do I connect with the people around that table? How do I make them feel heard? How do I make their opinion, how do I make them feel respected? Like their, their thoughts and their opinions have value. How do I get them to drop their insecurities and create a collaborative environment where we have the best possible outcome? My whole mindset changes. What if I pause in the truck before I walk into the house at the end of the day and just ask who's going to need me most on the other side of that door and what do they need from me for me to connect with them it changes my whole mindset walking in and what if that's the question we ask on Sunday night before the week starts who's going to need me most this week and what are they most going to need from me to connect with them and as we start into the year to ask the same question and maybe there will be times when the person who needs you most is someone that you've never met before and that you'll never meet Again, somebody told me a story one time who attends here that they were at a gas station and they recognized the person who needed them most at that moment while they were pumping their gas was the person on the other side of the gas pump because they recognized it looked like this person was carrying a burden. And they knew this is the person right now who needs me most. And what they most need from me is just connection. They created a conversation. They offered encouragement. And they invited the person to church. The person was so thankful that that person had reached out to them in that moment. They started attending here and experienced the transformation that so many of us know comes through being around Christ-centered community. Sometimes the person that may need you most is someone you've never met and may never see again. But what asking this question does is it makes us intentional week to week and through our day to be aware of who needs us most and what they most need from us. I'm not saying that you have to do this for the rest of the year, but here's what I would suggest. I would suggest you do this for a month. Just experiment with it. See if it changes. See if it helps you. See if it helps you do what is most important by just experimenting with it over the next month. Here's the last thing. We'll develop awareness of who needs us most, assess what they need most from us, and take action to meet their needs. We can be aware of people, and we can be uh, good at assessing their needs, but if we don't take action to meet their needs, none of it actually matters. And here's the truth. 
you would probably be intentional about all of these things, about all of these things, if it weren't for something in your life that's preventing you from it. There's some barrier in your life right now already that's preventing you from doing these things right now. Unless you identify what that thing is and remove it, you're going to continue to not do it through the coming year. If you don't change, nothing's going to change, right? We get that. So, uh, Juliet Funt, CEO of a company called White Space at Work, a company that helps organizations uh, manage their time so that they can accomplish more effectively the things that matter most, uh, was speaking at the GLS a couple years ago, and she shared this story, and it just had a really profound impact on me, so I wanted to share it with you guys because it fit really well. Here, she told a story about her friend who was writing a book, and she was working on one of the chapters of the book and trying to hit the deadline that the publisher had set up for her. And she's working from home one day. And her husband comes in from cutting the grass. And he comes into the house. He says, hey, why don't we all just pack up in the car? It's the kids and you and me and all of us. Let's just make a picnic and pack up in the car and just drive somewhere and enjoy this day together. She said, that sounds amazing but I'm trying to hit this deadline. I'm, af I'm afraid if I don't push through today, I'm going to miss the deadline. So she passed uh, on the ride. Shortly after that, her husband got a bad diagnosis. Um, his health went downhill really quickly, and they didn't have another opportunity to take a ride. And her friend vowed from that moment forward, she would never miss another ride again. The thing that connection requires is the thing that we lack most when we're busy, and it's availability. It's the thing that connection requires most, but we lack the most when we're busy, availability. That we have to be spatially available, and we have to be relationally available. We have to be able to be present with someone physically, and we have to be able to attend to someone emotionally. These are the things that busyness makes it so hard for us to accomplish. This is why we have to, as we step into this next year, get really intentional about thinking, what is it that's keeping me from being physically available? What is it that's keeping me from being emotionally available for the people who need me most? What are the things that I need to stop what do I need to stop in order to be more physically present? Maybe, there are things, maybe there's clutter in my schedule that it's just time to cut it all out so I can be physically present with the people who need me most. What are the things that I need to stop so I can be emotionally available for the people who need me most? What are the fears that are distracting me from connecting with the people who need me? What are the worries and anxieties that are keeping me from connecting with the people who need me? What are the... Issues that I'm struggling with in my life that are keeping me from emotionally connecting with the people who need me. Maybe this is the year that it's finally time to get help to confront those things and deal with those things so I can be emotionally available to the people who need me. I don't know what that is for you, whether it's some kind of addiction or whether it's an anger issue or whether it's a control issue, but all of us can identify something that's keeping us from being emotionally available for the people who need us most. What do I need to stop this year so I can be available? And then what do I need to start 
this year so that I can be available? What do I need to start doing? Maybe I need to start listening. Maybe that's my problem. I'm always so busy, I never just pause and listen to the people who need me most. Maybe I need to learn how to communicate. Maybe I've just, I've not, I was, wasn't raised to communicate in a way that, that connects with people. Maybe that's a skill that I lack. And maybe it's time for me to, to get some assistance to join a group to read a book about how do I engage in healthy communication that helps me to connect with people, the people who need me most. So here's my hope for us for this coming year. My hope is that we get intentional about what is most important by asking the question at critical transitions, by taking strategic pauses and asking ourselves, who is going to need me most and where are they gonna need most from me? Getting intentional about increasing our awareness of those people and assessing what they need most from us. Then taking the action to start or stop the things that are keeping us from being available so that we can get to the end of next year and know that we didn't pass or miss out on what is most important. You guys pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for just the relationships that you've brought into our lives, these relationships that you've entrusted to us. Lord, you see our hearts and you know how much we want to be available for the people who need us most, that we can be agents of your grace and your love to bless them and give them the courage to step into the lives that you are calling them to so they can become the people that you created them to be. And as we start into this year, we pray that you would give us perspective and wisdom and courage to confront these things and get intentional about what matters most. We ask it all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.